1: I remember laying under my bed, terrified for what felt like hours.
0: The sound of a dead weight fall of a human body tumbled down the hillside across from us and splashed violently into the water.
2: We had no idea if he still had the shotgun or not, so we were just hoping he didn't know where we were.
3: Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host Chad and this is Disturbed. Thanks to Canva Pro for supporting Disturbed. Canva Pro is an easy-to-use design platform that has everything you need to design, like a pro. Get a free 45-day extended trial by going to canva.me/.disturbed. And at the top of the show, I just want to thank everyone for continuing to listen, share, rate, review, and support Disturbed. It continues to amaze me to see how many people are listening to this little idea I had, and the overwhelmingly positive response to the show from everyone who's tuned in from all around the world. So again, thank you guys so much. And with that, let's get rolling. Our first experience comes to us from Reddit user She Makes Mistakes, And we hear about her pulse-pounding encounter on New Year's Eve 1999. Performing this experience is Tanya E. B.
1: When I was 13, the dawning of a new millennium took place on New Year's Eve. While people were fearing the worst with a Y2K bug or out partying and drinking, I was home alone. In 1996, my parents had split up and from there they divorced and my mother and I moved across the country from Oregon to Tennessee with her best friend. On the eve of the year 2000, I was home alone, and my mother was currently out of state. Now, this didn't worry me, as this was not the first time. I often came home to find a note on the kitchen counter saying they had gone to Florida for a few days and that there were groceries in the fridge. Since the divorce, she was regularly leaving me alone for long periods of time to go to Florida. We lived on a relatively quiet road, Surrounded by trees and set a few miles out of town, and I knew most of the people, if not by name, then by face enough to wave and small chat with, and had never before been given a reason to be afraid of being alone. On the night in question, I was staying up late watching television. I remember I was watching the movie His Bodyguard on USA Channel, and had most of the lights on in the house, not because I was afraid, but because at 13, I wasn't concerned with electricity bills or saving the environment. I felt completely safe and protected within my little bubble of home. As I was watching the movie, I kept hearing these weird sounds outside, but I remember thinking it was probably the neighbors. Though they weren't extremely close, a couple of them were having a party slash people over for the holiday. About halfway into the movie, however, the power in the house suddenly went dead. I sat on the couch for a minute, just sort of in a panic daze, because it was near midnight and pitch black. I remember thinking the power must have gone out and that it would come back on. So I just decided to sit on the couch with my blanket and wait. A few minutes passed by when I heard a noise in the kitchen where the back door is. My heart started racing in my chest because I thought it sounded like the back door being shut. The back door sits just off the dining room, which is connected to the kitchen, which leads directly into the living room where I was currently sitting on the couch. A few seconds passed after I heard the sound, and I was straining my ears to pick up anything that wasn't supposed to be there. Every noise suddenly felt magnified. When footsteps sounded on the floor, I immediately slithered off the couch onto all fours, crawled around the ottoman, and started as slowly and as quietly as I could make my way toward the space between the loveseat and the couch. I knew I could fit under the side table and be completely hidden by the dark and the ottoman, from playing hide-and-go-seek in the dark many, many times with my friends during sleepovers. I was nearly there, when the footsteps became more apparent. I knew from the sound of them that whoever it was, was making their way through the kitchen, now toward the living room. They weren't hurried or anything. It was like they were just moving around in the kitchen. I glanced up from where I was crouched on the floor, and to my horror there was a dark silhouette standing in the archway between the two rooms. To my credit, I didn't scream. However, I did panic. I stood immediately to my feet from my hiding spot and ran down the hallway, and I believe the only reason I wasn't overcome was because the person chasing me had to get around the ottoman in the dark to follow me. I did what all children do when they're afraid, and I bypassed the front door, the guest bedroom, the bathroom, and ran to the farthest door down the hallway. My room. In all honesty... I probably wouldn't have been able to get the front door unlocked and open in time, as it was right off the side of the couch. When I was ten, I got a bird for my birthday. He was a blue-fronted Amazon, and I named him Boo, because it was October and close to Halloween. Boo had a large iron cage. It could have been metal, but very large, sturdy, and like six feet tall. And it was kept in my room, despite the fact that Boo, like me, pretty much had the run of the house whenever he wanted. This information will become relevant later in the story. As I ran into the room, I slammed the door shut and locked it. However, the lock was simply one of those little turn knobs that you can easily pop with a butter knife. I had barely gotten the door shut and locked when the person on the other side knocked on it. I have no idea why they knocked, if they did it to mock me or to scare me, but I knew in my heart that my little lock was not going to keep whoever it was on the other side out of my room. It didn't keep my mother out when we were arguing, and it wouldn't stand up to brute force. I was panicking, on the verge of tears when the person started laughing. It was low, quiet, and because of that it was even more frightening. It wasn't like manic laughter, but as if they were genuinely amused. It was the laughter that really frightened me, and I started heavily, hysterically crying, and looking around my room to figure out what I could do. That was when I realized Boo's cage could almost fit perfectly between the door and the wall of my closet. The cage moved quietly on my carpeted floor, but as I pushed it into space, it scraped against the door and alerted whoever it was on the other side that I was trying to barricade myself in. Because suddenly, they threw themselves at my door, and you could hear the sound of the wood splintering and the door handle being twisted violently. Boo, who had been stirred by the movement awake, began literally screaming and flapping his wings. I might have screamed with him, but honestly, I don't remember screaming. I just remember being extremely scared. Terrified, I crawled under my bed-slash-couch, a bunk bed with a futon on the bottom, metal, and waited. Several minutes passed, and the person eventually stopped attacking my door. Boo continued screaming even after he had stopped. Though being under my bed gave me no feelings of being secure... I didn't come out from under it because I simply had nowhere else to go. I thought about trying to go out the window, but I was afraid he might expect it and therefore be waiting for me on the other side. And it was also several feet off the ground, as the house was built on a raised foundation. I remember laying under my bed, terrified for what felt like hours. I must have fallen asleep because I awoke the next morning to daylight. The fear of what happened came back to me as soon as I registered where I was and why and scared that whoever had been in my house might still be there. I decided to crawl out the window and run to a neighbor since it was daylight outside, and therefore I felt less afraid. Crawling out a window is a lot harder than it looks, and I did it less than gracefully, as I was not, and still am not, the most coordinated human being. Once I was back on my feet, however, I carefully made my way around the house, and that's when I noticed that the back door was wide open, scared but feeling braver now that i was outside and that it was morning instead of pitch black night i walked up the back steps and peered inside seeing nothing out of the ordinary no terrifying man leering at me basically i decided to go inside looking back i cringe on how stupid this could have turned out and that i wish i could have told my younger self to make the smarter move and just go get help but thankfully no one was inside the house I did a terrifying, heart-pounding room-to-room check, looking in closets and under beds, behind the couch, anywhere I thought even a small child might be able to fit. I even popped the lock on my mom's bedroom so I could check it, and then relocked it afterwards. When I was positive there was no one there, I went back to lock the back door. I had left it open in case I needed to escape, and noticed that the breaker box on the opposite wall was open. The main switch had been pulled... I flipped it back on, locked both locks on the back door, checked all the windows and front door, and then called my mom, where I once again broke down crying hysterically. She called a co-worker who came and stayed the entire day with me as they drove back. My mom still took random trips to Florida after that, but I always went with her from then on forward. So, terrifying, laughing, crazy person that broke into my house on New Year's Eve, please, let's never meet again, I sincerely hope no other young girl had to meet you either. I don't know if you were just some drunk visitor or a neighbor, but you terrorized me that night. I was afraid of being alone when my mom was working, and to this day, I still get scared when I am home alone, overthink what I would do if someone came inside, and where I would hide. When my cats make noise out of nowhere, I immediately investigate for fear it's someone trying to get in. P.S., My mom had to help lift me back into my bedroom window so I could move Boo's cage out of the corner between my bedroom door and closet. We never had another incident at the house, and we moved in town to an apartment a year later.
3: If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, get additional bonus episodes and your own shout-out, visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. Next up, our title story coming to us from Reddit user TheLawSon, and we learn all about The Bell Witch. Performing this experience is Matt Bradford.
0: I lived in Adams, Tennessee, growing up from about ages 14 to 18, 2004 to 2008. A couple of weeks after my family and I moved there, something unexpected happened. I was mowing on my dad's tractor with a big eight-foot-wide back-end mower. I was going down a hill when my horizon line violently was thrown around as the tractor tires hit something. I disengaged the mower, pulled the tractor around at the base of the hill I had just gone down. My blood went cold as I looked through the swath I had just cut, a buzzer going down the middle of someone's head making a lane in the grass. In that lane were four Native American burial graves. My parents started reaching out to anyone who might be able to help us identify the graves, anthropologists, historians, accredited people, you know. Those people unanimously agreed that these four graves were from the Trail of Tears. They corroborated this from what I remember because of how the graves were laid. very, very shallow, with a giant slab of stone where a gravestone would be. The fact that they were interned on a hillside to keep the water from sinking in and raising the bodies since they had to bury them so quickly, and many other reasons. I consider myself a very logically driven and rationally minded person. Basically, I let my empirical senses try to explain something before I'll open myself up to other possibilities. Yet there were things that happened to me and my whole family that we weren't able to rationalize with a scientific mindset or anything logical. Events one, The activity in our house started shortly after the mowing incident. We heard heavy knocking and pounding on the brick outer wall of the house, encircling the house. No matter where you were in the house, you could hear the knocking. Some nights, I would hear running footsteps accompanying the pounding. This activity happened nearly every night. As the nights passed, I started feeling a heavy presence in my room, a suffocating one, like um, a heavy weight sitting in my solar plexus constantly. Whatever was happening decided to latch onto me. Event two. Things continued to escalate. One night I was letting my golden retriever out to pee. It had a ranch-style house overlooking the Red River. The door we were exiting was on the back side of the house facing the river. As I opened the door, I start hearing faint whispering, something akin to leaves being blown or scratching across the ground. I looked up at the trees to see if the wind was blowing, except everything was perfectly still. It was fall in Tennessee, so tons of leaves on the ground, but they were not moving either. The scratchy, blowing leaf noise continued, but as it continued, it grew closer and, and louder. I mean, it sounded like a language of some sort, like how you'd imagine an incantation or something nefarious in the tone of the sound. I looked down at my golden retriever. All of the hair on her back was standing up. She was snarling like a rabid wolf, yet not barking, just kind of a frozen in fear response. I started getting extremely nauseous and could smell sulfur. I was completely frozen when my dog launches herself through the door's threshold and starts gnashing her teeth midair, snarling and and chomping. The voices were now coming from directly in front of me. I could hear them as if someone was standing there a foot or two away. I grabbed my dog midair and pulled her quickly inside, slammed the door and threw the deadbolt into place. The door and frame shook violently as a vicious pounding started hammering on the threshold. I ran with my dog to the center of the house, flipping on every light along the way. We sat there alone all night until the sun came up. And Ginger, my, my golden retriever, laid across my lap the entire night, pressing into me while she whimpered for hours. All I could do was pet her and try to calm her down, which was also helping me down-regulate. This was impossible, though. The entire night until sunrise, the back door was thumping. Event 3 It happened when I was coming home from football practice. I had all my gear and a gym bag over my left shoulder. This is important because of how I entered the house. As I closed the front door behind me, I began setting down the gear bag for my left side which caused me to look right. The room when you first walked in was our library, where we had a leather couch, chair, piano, bookshelves, and a wooden rocking chair, except this time there was something sitting in the rocking chair. My peripheral vision caught it first, the chair going back and forth. As my vision centered on the chair, there was a humanoid-looking shape just sitting there, head glancing downward at the book it was holding, long black hair drawn down over its head and completely void light. Uh, To picture what I saw, imagine the silhouette of a person, but rather a a void of light. The light coming in around the edges of it seemed to be eaten up by the presence, the void, as the light spilled over the contour edge of the humanoid shape how black holes are visualized, almost exactly. It felt like I had jumped off a bridge into ice-cold water. I blasted myself backwards against the door, screaming and fell down. As I was falling, I saw the void blur suddenly as it shot across the walls of the house and out through a huge bay window overlooking the river. My golden retriever was in the next room and she sprinted to chase the shadow across the walls, barking and clawing at the walls. After it left through my window... My dog came to me and laid on my lap until my parents got home. Event 4 I was fishing with my cousin Jack on the river by our house. We were right on the bend of a river, so the moon would be shining on both sides of the river, racing out at two lines like a 90-degree angle from the house. Super beautiful if you weren't on edge. The reason I bring this up, there was a lot of light on the river that evening. Jack was about 10 or so at the time. He reaches up and taps me. Does that lady need help? I looked to where he was pointing, and there was a pale woman dressed in white clothes going back and forth, picking up stones just to the left of us across the river. I had seen her many times before around the property, and whenever I would get close, she would disappear behind a tree or something similar would happen. Knowing this, I told Jack as calmly as I could it was time for dinner, and he needed to go up to my mom immediately, in an attempt not to scare him. When I walked him up and made sure he was on his way, I looked back over and she was gone, but I could hear a splashing in the water below. Event five. Myself, my dad, his friends, and some other family members were stalked out along the river bend on the gravel bar beneath the rise to our house. Nothing out of the ordinary at first. It was July 4th and we were having a good time for a change. We were all spread about 15 yards from each other. Each man had a low-end gas Coleman lantern. As the sun was setting, my dad looks over at me like something was bugging him. He told me later he felt like someone had just thrown a bucket of ice water over him before it began. The sun had just gone down when this happened. In unison, all the lanterns were cranked up full blast, but just as quickly became barely a flame. Then the fires roared to life again, and down to barely a flame, roared to life, then they were completely out but right as the flames went out, we heard the most godforsaken scream by some woman across the river. Whatever it was kept on screaming, despite our best attempts to call out to help. And as her scream reached a crescendo, it sounded like what I could only imagine a person's throat being cut that interrupted her scream. The sound of a dead weight fall of a human body tumbled down the hillside across from us and splashed violently into the water. At this point, all the guys had their flashlights out, That's when something started swimming and splashing around in the water on both sides of the riverbed. The splashing receded towards the opposite gravel bar, and whatever it was got out and started pacing back and forth across the rocks there. We were all pointing our flashlights to where the sound was coming from, but we couldn't identify where it was originating from. Safe to say we were running up the hill at this point. We all got inside the house, locked the doors, then gathered in the central living room. Nobody wanted to leave for fear of what was outside. We all stayed up that night because the wall pounding was more violent than it ever had been. Bam. 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 All night like the ticking of some demonic clock. I didn't sleep for two days after this event. Event six. Lost time. I was walking through the woods near the Bell Witch Cave. One moment it was completely sunny and blue skies about mid-afternoon. Next, it was overcast and looked maybe about 4 p.m. Event 7. Night terrors. Torture dreams. Being held down and brutally drawn and quartered. Dreams of walking through the house and the void person placing their hand in my chest and pushing through my solar plexus. Body violently shaking in the dream like having a seizure. Event 8. Visited the Bell House plantation marker in a tobacco field adjacent to my family's property. Brought friends to try and prove that something crazy was happening to my family. The rite of passage in the area is to go to the stone marker where the paranormal events happened hundreds of years ago, then dance on the stone saying, I don't believe in the Bell Witch. I got them to promise that they wouldn't do that while we went. Of course, the moment we get there, one guy who doubted the legends in a massive way jumps up on the stone marker and starts screaming, I don't believe in the Bell Witch! as loud as he could. I get so upset at him, I'm the only one who knows the way back, so I say, come on guys, we're leaving. In this area, it's known as the Tennessee River Valley, so there's tons of flowing water etc. around these tobacco fields. The reason this is important is because of what happened next. We're making good time walking back across the crop fields, hundreds of yards long. A mist starts rolling in from the river bend and begins to saturate the field. The temperature drops easily 25 degrees or so when we start seeing our breath. I begin to smell sulfur in the breeze and as the mist became a fog, it began. I started hearing this wheezy and deeply cavernous sounding breath around us, like being inside a cave that was breathing. Out of nowhere, we started hearing these giant blasting sounds and I realized that something was walking on the chopped tobacco stalks. And side note, When they harvest tobacco, they use a machete and cut down at a 45-degree angle, leaving about 3.5 feet of brittle stalk poking out of the ground. And when you step on said stalks, they disintegrate in a very loud way as they burst apart. This starts happening all around us, like an army of native spirits running around as if we were in a bandwagon battle. Blasts were coming from every single direction in the fog. That's when I hear it. That deep, cavernous noise turns into this giant sniffing sound, like some Lovecraftian beast smelling its prey just out of eyesight. At this point, I yell, run, in a pure panic mode. We take off across the field, trying not to trip and be skewered on the stalks. They dry out and get really sharp where they harvest them. Also, Robertson County is the world's largest producer of tobacco per square mile. So these fields are everywhere. Fun fact. As we're exiting the field and our feet hit the gravel road, the lower center of my back suddenly explodes in agony. I look down and there's this massive rock laying at my feet, and I realized that I'd just been assaulted. By the time I got to my house and examined my back in a mirror, the bruise was about the size of a basketball and was already turning black. Event eight. Woke up outside about 3 in the morning. I was laying next to the four graves on the property. The night was awfully cold, but I woke up soaked in sweat. We lived there for so long that I have many events to share, process, and willing to have discussions about my time there with you all. It is really hard for me to talk about this stuff without re-traumatizing myself, but my friends and family are encouraging me to share my experiences with like-minded people so I can try to find peace surrounding my trauma. Make sure you check out my Reddit post for photos, a link is in the show notes.
3: When Disturbed first launched, I really had no idea how to go about creating eye-catching graphics for each episode, and I really needed something that would be easy for someone who is not a designer by any means. Then I found Canva Pro, a super easy-to-use design platform that has everything you need to design like a pro, and you'll have access to a collection of over 75 million premium photos, videos, audios, and graphics. Not only that, but Canva Pro gives you the time-saving tools that help speed up that creative process. No matter your skill level, Canva Pro gives you everything you need to boost your productivity and creativity. Now I needed a service that would allow me to create great visuals for each episode of Disturbed. And let me tell you, my skill level and knowledge of how to do this was about 1 out of 10. And I didn't feel like I had that extra time to learn all the details and little skills that go along with creating professional style graphics. But all of that went out the window when I started using Canva Pro because you don't need to be advanced or spend hours watching YouTube videos to learn how to create. Now my favorite feature is accessing their giant library of high quality images that I can use to create the episode thumbnails for Disturbed. You just search for what image you want, scroll through the results and drag it onto your canvas. Then I just add some text and I'm done. It's that easy. And you can see what I mean by checking out disturbedpodcast.com. All of the episode artwork was created on Canva Pro. But there's so many other reasons to use Canva. Brands, logos, social media graphics, banners, marketing posters, business cards, invitations. It goes on and on and on. So the best thing you can do is go see for yourself exactly what Canva Pro can do for you. And right now, listeners of Disturbed have access to this special offer. Get a free 45-day extended trial by going to canva.me disturbed. That's canv dot slash disturbed to get your free 45-day extended trial. Now back to the show.. And finally, we hear from Reddit user Sailor F, and we hear why her junior year was one she will never forget. Performing this experience is Addison Peacock.
2: this happened during my junior year of high school in New Mexico, USA, 2006-7. My older brother had graduated the previous year and was still living with us as I started my junior year. My mom had met a man at some point, I don't remember exactly when, and during the first few months of my junior year, she eloped with him. While she was eloping to her dream beach wedding in Texas, the man was Texan with a thick accent, this'll be important later. My brother assaulted me. I was tinkering with a dead computer tower. He comes downstairs to see this and starts beating me. I get away and run upstairs with him trailing me. He pulled on and ripped my shirt while I was trying to get away from him. Somehow I did and I barricaded myself in my room. I called my boyfriend at the time who lived four hours away. He was immediately ready with guns and friends and on the road. I called my mom to tell her what happened and that I was leaving. I still had a few hours to wait though and I was terrified. I started calling friends to see who I could hang out with until my boyfriend arrived. I found a friend to help me for those few hours. I don't remember how I got out of the house, nor do I remember the rest of the night. This started a trend of me missing a lot of school, and spending a lot of time with my boyfriend, avoiding my brother, and eventually my stepdad, who we'll call Jim. A lot of the time between the assault from my brother and the next big event is really blurry. I don't remember a lot and come to find out from my therapist later in life this is because I apparently dissociate and didn't even know it. It's an additional defense mechanism to fight, flight, freeze. My brain is good at blocking out trauma. I don't remember much before the age of 13 and I've come to terms with not knowing why. Anyway, I digress. I do recall one piece of information though. My mom spent weeks tracking down a shotgun that Jim sold out of desperation. It was a family heirloom or something. She tracked it down, bought it at a pawn shop, and gave it to him for Christmas of 2006. He cried when he opened it. He also ended up putting it up against my mom's head, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Bad joke. Gotta lighten this somehow. Sometime in the spring semester, I was at my boyfriend's house four hours away when I get a call from my mom. She says that she knows I'm heading home soon, but to not come home because she's staying at a hotel... She explains that Jim assaulted her in front of his family, threw his phone at her head, needed stitches, and held the shotgun to her head. He was arrested at the house, but his parents, who witnessed the whole thing, bailed him out, so my mom went into hiding. I get home, well, to the hotel in a nearby town. This is where my mom explains further that the assaults have been happening for a while, and it always happened when I was at my boyfriend's, and that she hid it. She also told me that Jim's sisters stayed in the hotel with her for a day or two. Not sure why. My mom and I planned to stay there for a bit until... What? I'm not sure anymore. We told nobody where we were or what was going on. This was my mom's idea. My grades were suffering. Counselors had no idea what was happening with us. I now realize how fucking stupid this was. One night in the hotel, we're hanging out on our respective beds, watching TV when the room phone between us rings. My mom mutes the TV, and we watch it ring, glancing at each other. We don't answer. Instead, we let it finish, and my mom calls the front desk. The room was so quiet, I could hear the whole conversation, and I will never forget it. Front desk. Hello, how can I help you? Mom. Did I just get a phone call? Yes, you did. Was it from a man? Yes, Did he have a Texas accent? Yes? Where did the call come from? Another room in the hotel? My mom paused before saying, Call the police. Call the police? Yes, please call the police. I don't remember exactly what happened after that phone call, but I do remember hiding between the two beds on the floor with our old cat. We were on the first floor with our cars right outside the window. My mom said that this was to keep an eye on them but I now think this was also a dumb idea. We had no idea if he still had the shotgun or not, so we were just hoping he didn't know where we were. After what felt like forever, the police knocked on the door. The knock was so startling but so relieving when they announced that they were the cops. He was arrested at the hotel and we proceeded to find out a lot of things. He was trying to find us, he hunted for us, The hotel had an internal balcony so the second floor could look down and see the first. He was apparently just above us and a room or two over. He was calling the front desk complaining about our cat with no valid complaint to see what room that the front desk would go to. Apparently he was also texting my mom during the whole thing from his parents' phone since he broke his on my mom's head. He was saying how dumb we were for leaving our cars outside. How he knew where we were How he'd hunt us down and kill the mother lion and her cub. Demented shit. He even said some of this in voicemails that my mom never let me listen to. We left this hotel for another, further from home. We couldn't sleep, and around 3 a.m. I left to go back to the safety of my boyfriend. Eventually, I came back to my hometown, but still didn't go home. This time, we were staying with a family friend. Legal things were starting, and I went with my mom at one point in case they needed my statement, but they didn't. While we were staying with this family friend, my paternal grandmother passed from a heart attack. To say the least, my junior year was the most stressful year. After some time, my mom went back to gym. He assaulted her multiple more times and even tried to kill her cat's. Eventually, she moved away from him, but was technically married to him from 2006 to 2014-15. Me now, I'm happy AF. I have a regular therapist, a supportive partner, and his family who loves me unconditionally. The trauma that I live with is a daily battle, but I'm in such a great place now. I no longer have contact with my mother, and it's the best decision I've ever made. She later married another abusive man once her paperwork was done with Jim. I couldn't let her traumatize me further.
3: One of my favorite new obsessions is called The Secret Room with Ben Ham, and Ben takes you on a journey with unique people
4: who finally bear all and tell their most intimate secrets. What's the one thing you've never told anyone? People just like you tell all in a podcast called The Secret Room. If you're a true story fan and you cannot get enough of people's most intimate dreams, desires, and shame, you will love The Secret Room. Like Mila's deathbed confession that her daughter's absent father is a movie star.
2: I wish I could tell someone who the father is while I'm still on Earth.
4: Or Jen's secret love affair with a man on death row.
2: It's turned my world upside down and something he
1: just did has devastated me.
4: Or the way that Joey falls in love with inanimate objects.
1: I know people who were in relationships with construction equipment.
4: People all around you carry the most amazing secrets you're invited to The Secret Room for a front-row seat to spectacular stories that will touch you, jar you, and amaze you. I'm Ben Ham, your host. Search for The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells.
3: Thanks to everyone for continuing to send in your stories via email at at mystory@disturbedpodcast.com over the hotline at 701-354-3667 or by using our online submission form at disturbedpodcast.com slash submit and remember no story is too big or too small so keep them coming disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and listener support thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews these things help new listeners find us follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com/support to learn more. And a shout out to all of our newest supporters: Michelle Edwards, Sierra Garrison, Erica Bullock, Mary Lee Cody Robinson, Stephanie Calderon, Monique Anderson, and Amy Saylor. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.